I think that's the first time Matt called me a horse. <laughs> Probably not the last. That's better than some other animals. Hey, guys, it's great to be with you this morning. I'm Kurt Bubna, and uh, if I saw a couple of you that came back from Christmas Eve. Welcome back to East Point. Glad you are with us today. Uh, we're going to, uh, as Matt mentioned, start a new series today called Loveology, and I'm very excited about it. Uh, a couple months, I think through February, we'll be in this. Uh, we also have, the, I ripped the name for the series off from this book, which is a great book by a young pastor, John Mark Cummer, in Portland. And uh, we grabbed some of these to make it convenient for you. Uh, we never make profit off these. In fact, I think we're selling at a loss. But you can pick them up back at the information table. If you'd like to read and kind of get more information, it's a great book. I'm not marching through this uh, book, but I'm using a lot of what he says and some comments and quotes from it. So I would encourage you to check it out. I think we've got it available in the back for $15 after the service. Speaking of books, I had a couple people ask me this morning, hey, I, I want to get your devotional. It's the beginning of the year. Where's that at? Uh, Mary at Hastings across the street. She always carries my books, and I love supporting her. She's been here a few times, so I keep inviting her to come back. So if you do go over there, be nice. Please be nice to Mary, and uh, that, that's available. Well, often here at East Point, uh, at the beginning of the new year, we do relationship series. Uh, you know, I'm, I love new, fresh things, and we're going to take a new, fresh look at this topic of love. But um, I like rhythm, too. I think it's good to kind of cycle back through some things and to, to uh, refresh our understanding, our heart. And today, this series, Loveology, is all about relationships. Now, I am fully aware. Let me just, here's my disclaimer up front. I am fully aware that not everything in this series is going to directly apply to everyone. It may not be... Uh, something that you are going to directly be able to apply in your life or that you'll relate to. I will talk about marriage, and not everybody is married. And some of you want to be married. Some of you wish you weren't married. But we're going to talk about marriage. I will talk about sex, though some of you are sexless. I will talk about porn, though hopefully a lot of you don't have a porn problem. And I'm going to talk about homosexuality, though most of us are not gay. However, and here's what I need you to hear, because I know the minute we talk about loveology, love series, some of you are thinking, ah... Guys, I need you to understand that though I may address topics that you don't think apply to you directly, and they may not, please remember this, it's a relationship series. And every one of us have a relationship with someone. If you're breathing, unless you're a hermit, and if you were a hermit, you wouldn't be here. You all have relationships with someone. It might be a child, a parent, a BFF, a spouse, a coworker, a student you go to, to, you know, to school with. We all have relationships and God has put you in a sphere of influence. He has intentionally, I believe this with every ounce of my body, he has put you where you are at. You might think, well, I hate my job. Get over it, because I believe God put you there. And I think if you change your attitude and see this as an opportunity to be light in the midst of darkness, maybe that make your job a little bit better. He put you where you live, in the neighborhood you live in. He put you in your family. And I know some of you think, man, my family's as dysfunctional as they come. I know, I grew up in that family. But I'm telling you, God has put you in the sphere of influence on purpose. And he wants you to learn some things about relationships. Even if it doesn't directly apply to you, what you learn through this series can help others. You might be a single heterosexual virgin, but a lot of people in your life can benefit from what we're going to talk about. And again, here's my point. You may not need this, but somebody around you does. And there's this little concept taught by Jesus and I'm being facetious when I say little. It's a concept of being disciple makers. Heard that one? Go to all the world and do what? You guys are smart. Make disciples. And part of that means we've got to be instructed so that we can go and help instruct others. 
Peter wrote to a church suffering persecution. He said this in 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Peter says always be prepared. Now the hope that he refers to here, obviously, is the hope that we have in Christ, in Jesus as our Savior. I know what he's saying. That the, the, the context here is no matter what, preach the gospel. Be ready to share about why you believe in Jesus. But there's a bigger principle here as well. And there's a model, in fact, both demonstrated by Peter and Paul in the New Testament, that we as Christ's followers are to be prepared to present what we believe and why. That when someone comes up to you and says, I don't get why you Christians, dot, 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 dot. You need to have a response, an answer, something you can say, well, here's what I understand from the Word. Here's what God has taught me. And without question, we must know what the Word teaches then. We've got to understand what the Bible teaches. That's, by the way, why you got guys like me, to instruct you in righteousness, to equip you, to give you insight into the Scriptures. And you need to know what the Bible teaches about life and what the Bible teaches about relationships. And be prepared to address those questions that will come up. A guy in our church uh, a month or so ago came up to me and said, man, i got all sorts of, of guys asking me questions at work, and we have these breaks, and we, and we start talking about God and religion, and, and they start pounding me with these questions, and I don't have answers. And I gave him two great pieces of advice. Number one was, don't ever fake it. If you don't know, here's the right response. I don't know. Just tell him. So, well, I'm not sure. But the second thing is, you say, but I'll get an answer for you. I'll find out. I'll dig into this. And I gave him some resources to help him, and I encourage him, get into the Word. You know, nowadays, guys, and you all know this, but we have so much available at our fingertips, literally. And I, Matt kind of made fun of Wikipedia, and about half of it I'm not sure I believe on Wikipedia. But what I can tell you this, there's some great resources available to you. And if you don't know something, dig into the Word. Do a, a, a study throughout the Word. So I want to be clear about three things, and this is kind of my preliminary little mini-sermon before the talk today, because I need you to know this. First, the culture around us is teaching us all the time. Why is this important that we take time in church to cover these issues? Because I guarantee you the culture that you live in, that I live in, is always giving us instruction. And they're teaching people lies and a way of life that will harm them and maybe kill them. You cannot, I double-dog dare you, to find one sitcom that isn't teaching people something that's a lie. I don't watch sitcoms for that very reason, because they just tick me off. But there's all this information that's being given to people from a young age to old people like me, and it's all the time. It's being promoted all the time on television. You are being instructed. The culture is being instructed all the time. You know, back in the dark ages, back thousands of years ago, the primary teachers were parents, family, and then there were, you know, pastors or leaders or others in the culture or others, you know, the, the wise elders who would pass on information. Now, it's so much available everywhere, but every aspect of social media and the media in general is teaching you whether you know that or not. Second thing I want you to know is our lives as Christ followers. Our lives and our words matter to the people all around us. God has given you his word, and again, he's put you where you're at. And he wants you to understand that he's got a plan and a purpose for you right there. And his plan always involves his people doing his work. Let me say it again. His plan always involves his people, that's you if you're a Christ follower, doing his work. And so we need to know this. And the third thing, and here's, this is so important, in a non-judgmental and harsh way, not in a harsh way at all, our words and our lives ought to stand in stark contrast to the culture around us. Now, not in a, a bizarre 
or angry sort of way. Not in a condescending way whatsoever. Let me just, again, verse 15. First Peter, give the reason for the hope you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Do it with gentleness and respect. I love that Peter put that tag on this. Yeah, speak the truth. But Paul said in Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in what? Speak the truth in love. So we don't come at people from a harsh or, or condescending way at all. And I've said it a thousand times. I will say it a thousand more times. It doesn't matter how right you are if you're not relational. If you're taking notes, write that down. It doesn't matter how right you are if you're not relational. Because just being right makes you a Pharisee. Unless you love. Unless you care about relationship. So, let me just make it clear. Though some of what I will say may not directly apply to you, it does to someone else. So pass it on. And when it does directly apply to you, use it. Put it into place in your life. And at the very least, know that God wants you to know his word. He wants you to be informed. It's more than that. He wants the people around you to be blessed by your knowledge and your understanding of the word. But at the very least, he wants you to know so that your life can be impacted and changed. See, one of the things I love about God, one of the things I love about the word is it's, it redeems, it restores, it renews us. That's God's specialty. He redeems, he restores, and renews our lives. And, you know, sometimes that happens miraculously. God, the Holy Spirit, just comes in and boom, something happens and changes us from the inside out. Sometimes it happens in the context often, in the context of relationships. As iron sharpens iron, we encourage and we, we challenge each other. And often it happens through the Word, through God's holy scriptures that cha challenge us to grow and to change, and to change, to renew our minds, to think differently as we grow in our faith. So here's the big idea today. What we're going to land on is what I want you to walk away with. And by the way, it's an idea that applies to all relationships. I'm going to focus a lot on marriage today. I mentioned that several times, but this applies to every relationship you have. Here it is. Love is hard work and a choice you make to be self-giving. Love is hard work and a choice you make to be self-giving. Now I'll come back to that in a minute and unpack it for us. But before I do, let's watch a short clip from the most quoted film ever. Here it is. The Prince's Bride. By S. Morgenstern, Chapter 1. Buttercup was raised on a small farm in the country of Florin. Our favorite pastimes were riding a horse and tormenting the farm boy that worked there. His name was Wesley, but she never called him that. Isn't that a wonderful beginning? Yeah, it's really good. Nothing gave Buttercup as much pleasure as ordering Wesley around. Farm boy? Polish my horse's saddle. I want to see my face shining in it by morning. As you wish. As you wish was all he ever said to me. Farm boy, fill these with water. Please. As you wish. That day, she was amazed to discover that when he was saying, as you wish, what he meant was, I love you. And even more amazing was the day she realized she truly loved him back. Farm boy. Fetch me that picture.
Now most of the ladies in the room are going, oh, my husband never says that. <laughs> uh, but guys, uh, that is one little side note that it, it, it works just to, to say, honey, as you wish. But the point in that little illustration, what, when Wesley said that, when Farmer Boy said that, what was he saying? Yeah, he was saying, I love you. I love you. And how did he demonstrate that love? I love that clip because how did he demonstrate that love? He served her again and again by what he did, by his actions. He made a choice to be self-giving. That little clip out of Prince's Bride is an illustration of what I want you to understand today. Is that love is, it is a noun, but it's also a verb. One of the things I appreciate about John Mark's book, Loveology, is that he starts by defining what love is. And he challenges us to have a true understanding of love. And I want to do that a bit with you this morning as well. You see, we use the word love in all sorts of ways, don't we? Uh, we say, I love football. And I, I, I know some of you don't normally come to this service, and I know why. That's okay. I'm glad you're here. But, you know, we, I love the Seahawks, or I love the Vikings, or I love whatever. I love chocolate, or I love peanut butter. Or if you're like me, I will admit to you, I love chocolate and peanut butter. My favorite candy in the world, you know, there's that chocolate peanut butter Reese's thing. Some of you are thinking, oh, oh. But I love that. But we throw that word out. I love, and then for lots of folks, we, we love is a passion then. It's a passion for a thing. It's passion for a thing. I love the football team. I, you know, I love chocolate. I love whatever. Then in the very next breath, what cracks me up is we say, well, and I love God. Or I love my spouse. Or I love my dog. You see, we throw the word love around quite a bit, don't we? And it almost always has to do with our feelings. In fact, listen to this clip. I've got these feelings and I just can't help myself no more. Maroon 5, in case you're wondering. And that's the clean version. I highly recommend the clean version. But that's the culture we live in. I've got these feelings and I just can't help myself. I can't even get close to where he's at. He seems like a girl. But... But that's the culture, that's the attitude. I've got these feelings and I just can't help myself. In our culture, and I need you to understand the distinction between what is currently believed and what the Bible teaches. In our culture, love is an emotion. It is a longing. It is a passion. It is a desire motivated by attraction and typically has a lot to do with personal satisfaction. Let me say that again. It is a desire motivated by attraction and typically has a lot to do with personal satisfaction. And so it's what we want, it's what we feel, it's what we like, and so we love it. Another important note about love in our world is that it's often passive. It's often passive, meaning it has, some, it has something to do with what happens to us, and little, uh, of, uh, we have little control over it. So I, I love the Seahawks. I just can't help but I love the Seahawks. It's something that's passive that happens to us. We say, I just fell in love, or love hit me like a lightning bolt out of nowhere, or he swept me off my feet. And again, that's the way we typically define love. Now, lest you think I'm not a romantic, let me assure you I love the feelings of love. I said it. Love is a noun. I love the feelings of love. I don't deny that part of love is unfiltered emotion. But if that's all love is, then we've got a serious problem. If all love is is just emotion, something we feel, passion, desire, then we have got a serious problem. Why? Well, because we humans are fickle beings with fleeting emotions. 
We are. We just don't have the staying power, not even Captain Tennille. Emotions are a weak foundation for any relationship, any relationship, friend, spouse, anything. It's a weak foundation, but especially in a marriage relationship. I had a friend come to me quite a few years ago, and uh, he said, I got some bad news. I said, what? So my wife and I are getting a divorce. And I wasn't shocked because I'd watched their relationship dis disintegrate over some time, and, and they made both of them made lots of poor uh, choices. But I said, well, man, why? What, why are you doing this? And he said, well, uh, we just fell out of love and I've fallen for someone else. Quote, unquote. We fell out of love and I've fallen in love with somebody else. I wanted to hurt him so bad because he knew better. But that guy, like millions of other people, has bought the lie that love is an uncontrollable feeling. And some of you are like, well, I never really thought about this. Get this. It is a lie. That is just some uncontrollable feeling. I just can't help myself. Love is a feeling. It's just, it's just nothing I can do. Sometimes we fall in and out of love like some of us walk in and out of Taco Bell. It just, you know, happens when I get the urge. And that is not love. There's got to be more to it than just the way we feel because if it's not, then forget love. Some of you are bitter and you've been burned. And you have literally said, screw love, forget it. Now I'm never going there again. Why? Because it's too painful. It's too emotionally draining. It's too much of a roller coaster. You might like roller coasters for about 10, 15, 20 minutes, but nobody wants to live on a roller coaster. So what is love? If it's not just emotion, if it's not just something we feel, what is love? How does God define it? Well, again, let me give it to you one more time in case you missed it the last time. Love is hard work. Guys, I've been married over 40 years, and I'm here to tell you, love is hard work and a choice a choice you make to be self-giving. There are no easy shortcuts. None. If you're going to live in a God-honoring, healthy relationship, love is a decision. Love is a choice. Love is action. There are many times over the 40-plus years my wife and I have been together that I am just crazy in love with her, and I can't get enough of her love. Many times. Other times, I'm not sure I even like her. And the truth is, it's more often the other way, where she's saying, I, I'm not sure I like you right now. Uh, we were, um, where were we at? Oh, downtown, and there was some gas. I smelled gas in one of the, we were walking around the mall on Friday, downtown, and I smelled natural gas. And she says, what's that smell? I said, oh, it's natural gas. And we walked a little bit further. She said, oh, that's really bad. And then I did this. I'm holding her hand while I did this. I, I'm not kidding. I went, boom! <laughs> she was so mad. I thought it was funny. Not so much for her. Said, Why do you do that? I don't know. I'm sick. I'm just, I'm twisted. I don't have an answer. There are times when you don't even like that person. And if you're going to stay together or base your relationship on emotion, then you're in trouble. We have survived, in fact, thrived because we've learned a long time ago not to trust our emotions and that that's not the foundation for our relationship. Marriage is work, hard work, and getting up every day day after day and deciding, I'm going to love that person as Jesus has loved me. I'm going to love them. And here's where we get this idea of choice, by the way, taught throughout the New Testament especially, but I'm going to give you a couple verses to line on just in case you think I'm making this up. 1 John 3.16, John, the beloved disciple, said this, this is how we know what love is. Now, we ought, to, we ought to hear that phrase and go, whoa, whoa, he's about to tell me something important. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, 
and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Do you hear what he's saying? How do we know what love is? How is love defined? We die. This is how we know what love is. We lay our lives down just like Jesus did for us. And the very next chapter in 1 John 4, 9 through 10, I love 1 John. In fact, I'm seriously tempted to do a series on that this summer because I've been spending so much time in it. But 1 John 4, 9 and 10, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Verse 10, listen, this is love. This is the way God defines it. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. How does God define love? How did he define it? How did he demonstrate it? John says, this is love. God sent his son as a sacrifice for us. See, God didn't just say, I love you. And it wasn't based on a good day for him. Well, I'm, you know, things are going pretty well, and most people, you know, 40% of them are doing okay today. That's a good day. So I love, I, I'm going to love those people that are, you know, got their, all, their act together. No. God doesn't just base his love on emotion or feeling. I'm grateful for that. And by the way, do you know that all the gods and mythic gods of, of history, they all are very emotional and basic, their love is based on emotion. If they were ticked off, they, they struck people. You know, they killed people. They wiped people out. That's not the God we have. God's love for us is never based on our performance either. Romans 5, 6, and when we were still powerless, Christ died for the what? Ungodly. I love that verse. What's it saying? That long before we ever got our act together, long before we ever figured out anything about God, long before we ever acknowledged him, loved him, did one right thing for him, long before we ever responded to his love, the Bible says, again, this is how the Bible defines love, while we were still powerless, we were messed up. Christ died for the ungodly. And again, in 1 John 3, 16, it says, we are to lay our lives down just like Jesus laid his life down for us. How many of you think this is easy? Yeah, it's not. It takes everything. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit. It takes all of God in all of us to help us to live this way. But this is the goal. So in all of our relationships, marriage, friendships, with your children, with your parents, with the people you work with, with that guy that you cannot stand, with that woman who drives you crazy. In all of our relationships, this is love. Self-giving sacrifice. Now, to be honest with you, we could just stop right there with this entire series and say, go work on that for the next year. And if you literally did that, it would radically change your lives. I promise you, it would radically change your life. If you would leave here today making a choice, a decision to say, by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I am going to live the way Jesus lived. I'm going to lay my life down. I'm going to be self-giving, sacrificial, and love those people around me. And the health and success of your marriage absolutely, absolutely requires this, which is why the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, I'm a guy who's been married a long time, and I'm here to tell you, I'm still working on this, still trying to figure this out, still trying to be like this, loving my wife as Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. I'm one of the biggest babies you've ever seen when it comes to being sick or being in the hospital. I do not deal well with um, being ill or broken or having to be in the hospital. And this last year, I actually, 2015, I had a couple of medical procedures. I won't describe them in detail. One of them involved a long scope. That's all I'm going to say, because my wife says, please don't describe it. 
Um, and another one was, uh, just about a week and a half ago, I had a couple of injections in my back. Most of you know I've been dealing with back pain for a long time. And had to go through all these hoops for Premira and insurance. And finally the doctor says, okay, I'm going to send you off to get shots in your back, which is what I thought would probably work in the first place. And I'm much, much better because of it. I am about probably 30, 40% better. And I'm, I'm, boy, that's a huge difference for me. I'm glad. I'm glad. But when I was in the hospital, I got to show you a picture. This is, yeah. <laughs> my wife hates that picture. She says, you're not going to show that. I said, well, this is me. This is your pastor on drugs. This is me. This is your pastor on drugs. <laughs> and I made her take that, and she wasn't even happy about taking it. It was not a selfie. But what my point in this is that guy, my wife still loves. Not because she feels all sorts of emotion that's warm, fuzzy when she's with me. You know, she had to be at the hospital. Both those procedures took about two, three hours. They required somebody to be there, required her to drive home. I don't get it. I'm on drugs. Why can't I drive? But they said, you know, you got you to gotta be there. And, and uh, she stayed with me. And the last time was when my kids were here from Portland. My, my son and daughter-in-law and four grandkids were up. And I had to take three, four hours out of our day because they were here. And that was the time it was scheduled to go down. And she never, you know what? This, this is an amazing woman. She didn't complain one time. I would have murmured, complained, groaned, griped, you know, about it. Honey, my kids are here. I don't want to take you. Oh, you do. Not one time. And she sat there, you know, in that waiting room and took me home and put up with that. Why? Because she chose to love me. Her patience and her kindness and her care for me are great examples of self-giving sacrificial love. Now, in case you're wondering, there have been times where she's failed on that too, where she's not very self-sacrificing and giving. We all do. I'm not trying to paint a picture of perfection here, but I'm giving you an example of someone that has demonstrated that to me again and again and again, over and over again. Now, I hope you have lots of warm, mushy, passionate feelings about the person sitting next to you, unless it's not somebody you like. I, meaning not somebody you're married to, but I really, I hope you have lots of emotion. I truly do. But I pray this. I pray that you leave here knowing that love is hard work and a choice you have to make to be self-giving. And that's going to be the foundation for this entire series of what we're going to go through. I'll come back to it many times over. I'm going to remind you again and again, it ain't easy, but it's worth it. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the one who demonstrated everything about what true love is. You're the one who showed us how and what it truly looks like to lay our lives down and to love others. And I I know, God, we need you. Holy Spirit, we cannot do this without you. And so for any of us today thinking, I just don't have it in me, I'm drained, it's too late, I'm too worn out, I pray, Lord, that you would just speak into their hearts hope today and that you would show them that they're not in this alone and that as hard as that person in their life might be to love, uh, you love them and you're going to give them the grace and the help and the strength they need if they just keep leaning on you and trusting in you and making the choice to love like you. Jesus, you died so that we could live. Some of us, we need to die so that our relationships can live. And the good news is, Lord, uh, that's not the end of the story. You redeem, you restore, you renew. And just like most of us in this room have made a choice to respond to your love, God, that's, that's what happens in marriages, that's what happens in friendships. When, when someone takes the lead to die, we respond to that. The other sees, feels, senses, understands that they've been loved even when they were unlovely. And God, that's the plan. And then we respond to that love in kind. 
keep your head bowed, your eyes closed just for a minute. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet responded to the love of God for you. What do I mean by that? I mean, you, you've been kind of checking this thing out called Christianity and you've been looking at faith. Maybe you've been coming here for a while or maybe this is your first time here. Maybe you're just watching online and you think, man, I don't even know who this guy is. But right now, in this moment, there's something going on in your heart and you know it. And that's, by the way, that's God working on you. He's calling you. He's inviting you. He's trying to engage your soul. He's offering you this amazing gift of life, eternal life, forgiveness, mercy, grace, those gifts that come not because you earned it, but because he loves you. But just like we have to choose to love, we have to choose to respond to his love and to embrace that gift. And right now in this moment, I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you're here today and you're ready to begin your life as a Christ follower, and it's time for you, and you just know it's time, I'm going to pray this simple prayer. I'm just going to ask you to make this prayer yours. Just own these words as if they're your own words right now. Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Thank you that he lives for me now. And I, I, this morning, right here, I want to surrender my life to you. I want to embrace what you did for me on the cross. I need forgiveness. I need grace. I need mercy. So today, I say yes to you. Today, I embrace that gift with all my heart. Today, I surrender my life to yours because you surrendered your life for me. Now, if that's you, in just this quiet moment, say, yeah, God, I still, I still got some questions. There's things I haven't figured out. And I, I'm scared because I'm not sure I can do this, but God, I, I choose to follow you. I choose to say yes to you. And so here's the deal, the instant, the moment you do that, the Holy Spirit takes up residence. He lives in you now. You become his child, and the power to live the life is inside you now. It's not outside you, it's in you. Lord, show them what that means. Show them that you are in their hearts, their minds, their lives. Show them the transforming work of God that you're going to do now from the inside out, and show them how much they are loved as your kids right now. That's your name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together. About once a month or so, we uh, share communion together as a congregation. It's always available, every service, but I love once in a while just kind of tying it into where we've been, what we're talking about. Today, we're going to take a couple songs, another 10 minutes. We're early. It's only 10.15, so you're going to be home before the first quarter finishes. You'll be fine. But we're going to take about 10 minutes, and we're going to worship, and we're going to take communion together. Let me explain to you a few things I want you to know. First, it's open. You don't have to be a member here. If you're a Christ follower, please feel free to come. The other thing I need you to know is that we've got a couple of different ways. For people who are more concerned about germs, there's a sealed uh, version of communion. Peel the top off, there's a way for peel again, and there's grape juice below it. Uh, the others are just double stacked, so there's a cracker below and juice on top. If you need gluten-free, we've got that on the very back of the information table, that light in the corner. So we want to make this easy for you. And I don't want you to feel rushed. Sometimes I, I feel like you, you think, oh, I've got to get this done. No, you know what? I don't care if there's a line. It doesn't matter. We've got six tables, plenty of space, plenty of time. I want you to come and take a moment. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. As you step forward and grab that cup and hold that cup in your hand this morning, would you take a moment and remember 
See, Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Would you remember today the love that he showed to you by dying on the cross? And would you remember that he's called you to show that kind of love to others? And in that moment, say, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me and dying for me. And in that next breath, say, God, would you help me die? Help me to be like you, to love the others around you in the same self-sacrificing way that you did for me. Jesus said this in John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. And that's what he did. And that's what I'm asking you to do. So as we worship, again, feel free to comment. Or whatever point you're ready, we've got a couple of songs. We'll take communion, and then I'll come back and wrap it up. Oh, what amazing love. You know, sometimes we get hurt. If you're uh, older than about three, you've been hurt. And we make these vows. I've made them. I will never forgive that guy. I will never love that person. I will never let that go. And we feel justified because they wounded us. They hurt us. We were right. They were wrong. Matt and I were talking before the service. How often have you been wrong with God? And yet he loves you. And he gave everything for you. Love is the key. A choice. Love is hard work. It will take all of you and all of God in and through you to live that way. But when we do, it changes us and it changes our world. Today, if you begin your life as Christ follower, you've entered into that change, that metamorphosis, that transformation now is alive in you. I want to encourage you to tell somebody, let them know. We want to walk with you in this journey. By the doors, there's a packet. It says for new believers. It's got the date of our next uh, new believers class. It's got a Bible, material get started, you walk with Jesus. Pick one of these up. It's the beginning. We want to walk with you. If you need prayer, prayer team would be down front. If you miss the offering bucks, again, the black boxes are on the walls. You can just drop the prayer request or whatever in there. But here's my hope. Here's my prayer for you. As we start this new series and this new year, may you leave today deciding to love, choosing to love, even though it's hard, hard work sometimes. And may you leave here encouraged knowing that all of the resources of heaven, all the power of God, the Holy Spirit is there to help you do that very thing. God bless you guys. See you next week. Go Seahawks.